Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ME Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. I am Mark Bryan, the Director of Innovation and Research for MA Architects, a certified futurist, master trend forecaster, and designer. And I am Sam Moeller, the Director of Strategic Communications for MA Architects, and a guru on all things behavioral psychology, change communications, and mental health. Cue the Pavlovian response, you guys, because on today's episode, we are talking about the parallels between food and design, two incredible art forms with unlimited possibilities of expression and great potential to make meaningful experiences. We're sharing space and having conversation with two incredible storytellers. And if cheesy brisket crunch gets your stomach growling, consider this your warning to grab a snack before you settle down and tune in. This episode, you won't want to miss. I could not be more excited to welcome on Avishar Barua, the executive chef and general manager of Service Bar in Columbus, Ohio, owned by one of MA's newest clients, Middle West Spirits. You might have most recently seen him or recognize his name from Bravo's Top Chef, one of the country's most popular cooking shows where 15 of the best aspiring and promising chefs from all around America are challenged with creating amazing culinary dishes. Born in Columbus to immigrant parents who left Bangladesh in search of better opportunities in America, Avishar pursued his true passion of cooking after getting a bachelor's degree in biology and psychology at THE Ohio State University. After attending culinary school, he went to New York City and trained under Wiley Dufresne at a Michelin star WD-50. He returned to Ohio to open service bar for Middle West Spirits, a local grain-to-glass distiller, where he has since gained national recognition from Food and Wine magazine for his signature dish, you guessed it, the Cheesy Brisket Crunch. Here with the culinary artist is MA's own design expert and managing principal, Carrie Boyd. With an industry specialty in interior design and portfolio of designs for national companies like White Castle, Bob Evans, and Big Lots, among other countless projects, Carrie has made a reputation for herself as a trusted resource among the most notable clients, even being celebrated as a Columbus Business First 40 Under 40 honoree. Carrie garners respect from her colleagues, clients, and community with a great ease and little effort. With an eye for innovation, Carrie's reputation for forward-thinking designs is one of her most marked characteristics. Prioritizing clients' goals and architectural design integrity, she dedicates herself to the detail of high design. Carrie is a coveted resource and a trusted advisor, working together with MA's clients and colleagues to set up their organizations for greater success, spending time discovering insights that will lead to their innovation. Carrie will be one of the leads in the efforts with Middle West Spirits, so this conversation is just a part of the incredible collaboration to come. Welcome, Chef Avishar and Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to work on getting Carrie a chef yeah. equivalent well, You don't title. have to call me chef. I mean, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm a person first. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, chef. It honestly just felt really cool for yeah. me. So. Cool, yeah, well, you can call, like I said, you can call me whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> I love it. It is taking everything in me not to constantly use culinary puns seriously. So uh, before we get cooking, we'd like to share some... Oh, you guys. We'd like to share some personal insight about you with our listeners. Avishar, you first. You ready? Yep. You are ready for this moment. All this media has led you to right here, right now. I got it. All right. What is your favorite ingredient to work with? That's a very broad question. I mean, I think one of the most important ingredients to work with is like flour, actually, because you can turn flour into noodles, you can turn it into bread, you can turn it into pasta or cakes, you know, so uh, very useful. Very I like, cool. I like that. Um, also rice, but, you know, I don't want to talk about that right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving on. <Yeah. laughs> what, what is the dish still unmastered? 
Um, I mean, I think every dish is unmastered. We're a process of learning. So even when we, when we think we've got something that's okay, we try and like, you know, it's like playing like a video game. You always want to level up your characters. We always try to level up our dishes. I love that. What keeps you up at night? Everything. I don't, <laughs> I don't really sleep very well. So <laughs> it's uh, my lifestyle. Yeah, my, my, my poor decision making. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would imagine the world of the restaurant, it seems like you have a lot of late nights. So that's probably not helping and last (laughs) (laughs) last question where do you source your inspiration um everything i mean i i've been getting more and more into uh, you know you read a lot of cookbooks when you start off and then you try and be like other chefs but now it's you can come from anything from art from design it can come from like just a memory um just something that you can say i want to share with the world is basically my my inspirations well this is perfect for today's conversation as we draw the parallels between food and design as two powerful storytelling art forms carrie you're up i'm ready all right What's your favorite design technique to work with? Uh, I think Mark could probably attest to this. I think probably hand sketching. Um, There's something about using a pen and trace that, um, I don't know, you have to get into the space so that you can figure out how to evoke emotion in that design. And so for me, it's just a pen and working through a design on trace. I would agree with that. I mean, there's something about using that tool that just slows you down. It does. And just makes you feel a little bit more in tune and into the space. It does. It's therapeutic. Very cool. What is the dish that makes you feel like a top chef? Oh, sitting here next to Abishar. <laughs> sure. Um, top chef. I don't, well, so I have a 12-year-old son. Uh, his name's Brody. And we love to cook together. And, um, of course, he's so jealous that I get to sit here with you today. Bring him he, next time. He actually <laughs> wanted to come. I know. I'm like, I don't know, buddy. Um, but we do. We watch cooking shows all the time. And I think probably relate more to uh, Chopped because there's a Chopped Junior that he loves to watch. And so, um, I don't know. I think it's just pulling anything random out of the refrigerator and seeing what we can come up with um, and trying to make it look beautiful on the plate. So, I don't know that there's one thing, but um, just, you know. We always call it like coming up with concoctions. It's just what can you create out of nothing. Very cool. What keeps you up at night? I echo Avishar's statement. Um, I don't know, the most random things for no reason, really. It's usually when I'm trying to work through some sort of problem and it's still not solved when I go to bed and then I'm up constantly trying to, whether it's design or um, a leadership conversation, it just like, it just keeps spinning and spinning. And so that keeps me up. I think caffeine also helps. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) doesn't hurt. (laughs) And Carrie, where do you source your inspiration? Um, I would say... Uh, I also echo Avishar's, like anywhere really, but probably nature most. I think it slows me down and um, so much design inspiration I think comes from from nature. Um, so yeah, I think just being outside. Awesome. Well, now that we know you all a little bit personally, we want to just dive right in. So Avishar, we're going to start with you. Uh, we always like to get a little bit of upfront history with our guests. So you've really brought Michelin to the Midwest, or at the very least Columbus, serving as the premier chef at one of the city's most prestigious, diverse, and unique foodie spots, Service Bar. Can you share your story of what brought you to this place and onto Bravo's TV's Top Chef? Sure. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I can summarize it pretty fast. Uh, I mean, I followed the pathway of most Asian Americans. I grew up in a Bengali household. My parents came from Bangladesh. My dad was a doctor. Um, he graduated from high school at a very young age and medical school at an even younger age. So, you know, it's like he just came and kind of uh, started getting his way. And, you know, he put us into, uh, put me through private school because he wanted me to have all the same pathway. They wanted the best for the kids. Um, And through that time, it was just, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. There was no other choice. So I never even thought about any other options. I just went, okay, 
what school can I get into, like John Hopkins, which, you know, where can I go to be, become a doctor? Um, I didn't get into John Hopkins. I did get into Ohio State, the Ohio State University, right? right? Um, and it was biology was the, the degree in pre-med concentration. So I started that. The first class that I took that I walked into was a general education class. It was Psychology 100, and that changed my life because I had never experienced that before. Um, I am not a, a big, loud person, but people often come to me with their problems. Um, and I figured if I'm going <laughs> to give people advice, I might as well know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know <laughs> so I took a psychology class. I was like, this is really cool. I can control how people think and what, they, what, what I want. To, I can make them do whatever I want. So I started taking psychology class, and I was like, oh, well, I can get a minor in that. I got a second major, and then they're like, you take three more classes, you can just get two degrees. And I was like, what's the difference? They're like, well, it's two degrees. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I got the degree in psychology and biology. Biology was tough uh, for me because I like to see things. Um, and, like, you know, OCHEM was one of the harder ones, but the second time I took it, uh, I got it more because I started to realize that my, it was a different style of learning. Um, we were always on memorization, 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 and I'm not very good at that if I find it boring. Like, if it's, like, something like, like a comic book or video game, like, yeah, I can memorize that, but if it's, a, you know, like a SN2 reaction, it's, it's too much for me. I don't really understand how that works, but if I can understand the why, then I can figure out and extrapolate. So when we went down, I was just, you know, I got those degrees, and I was going to go to medical school, so I took the MCAT, and I took the MCAT, and I left, like, feeling really defeated because I'm also not going to standardize tests. Like, I'm not, I'm not that book smart, um, and traditionally in our culture, there's, you, you just have to be very book smart, and, like, it's like uh, reflex. Like, you don't really have the time to think for yourself. Um, when you become a doctor and then after when you get married and then you have everything settled then you can go and have fun and think for yourself um and that was not really the way that i i was really thinking so well so throughout my college experience i moved out of my house and lived on campus um and i figured i had to make my own food <laughs> I and mean, i had never done that before in my life uh so i got a book from the library columbus library is a very good resource by the way you can get whatever book you want to but it was a uh, you know we have a lot of memories of chinese food so i got chinese cooking for dummies by martin yan um, this is interesting because it comes comes into play later, actually. So I got, I got that book. I read it. I was like, cool, recipes, awesome. Um, this is easy. I can make this. You know, it was a stir fry. And I got this uh, wok that my mom gave me from a long time ago. And I turned the stove on high for 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> like it said, I said, like, get it really hot. So I did. Um, and I threw the oil in the pan. The thing caught on fire. Oh. And then I was like, oh, this is normal, right? So then I threw the habanero peppers in because I wanted it to be spicy. Um, and then it basically tear gassed the entire the entire apartment <laughs> building. So people started running out of the building. It was a Harrison. Um, <laughs> luckily, my friend was a landlord. So um, they, they all, like, ran out of like, oh, my God, you know, we're, we're being attacked. And uh, <laughs> at that point, I realized maybe cooking's for me. You know, I can affect people in some way or another. Uh, but after a few failures, I was like, oh, this is cool. I can actually make the food that I've enjoyed my entire life. It's something that I can do, and I can serve it to somebody, and I've made it from beginning to end. Um, and the reaction you get from someone when you give them food is, I think, it's pretty cool. So I went throughout, like, college just as, like, it was just a hobby. Um, but then after about, like, junior year, my roommates are like, what's wrong with you? Like, they're like, we have a fourth room, and it's full of, like, Lookers say cookware and cookbooks. Like, he's like, they're in the bathroom. They're in the corner. Like, you have a problem. You know, they're like, there's no, there's no school books. It's just cookbooks. And I was like, well, I don't know. It's like, I just find it really interesting. You know, I would turn on Food Network all the time, watch Top Chef on Bravo, like all these things. I was like, man, this is amazing. But I never thought of it ever as a career path. It was just a hobby. Um, and then it came, push came to shove. And once I decided I didn't want to be a doctor, it just kind of opened things up. And uh, psychology was the next path, but you know, psychology is a tough path. Um, also, I have some, some friends whose parents are psychologists, and they uh, the kids are like, no, don't do it, don't do it. You're, 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 if you won't have kids, don't do it. No. Um, so, so I, I was like, I'll keep that as a fun thing. I won't, I don't want to do that professionally. Um, I worked at my brother's restaurant over a little bit of time in college because I've always had two jobs, and I just just kind of stuck with me. So when the final thing happened, my parents were like, what, you're, you're crazy, you can't do that. That's not, you cannot cook professionally. That's not something that, that someone should do. It's, it used to be considered kind of like the lowest of the low. So it's not really an occupation that's uh, suitable for, for us. Um, uh, however, uh, they were like, if you're going to do it, you got to go to school for it. So, you know, that's, so we found the compromise. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll apply to the best one I can. I applied to CIA in uh, Hyde Park. Uh, beautiful campus. Really, really nice. It's, it was amazing. Uh, however, I talked to some alumni from there. 
and talking to them it kind of changed my perspective on it. Um, you know, they, they actually weren't cooking anymore, and I was like, if I'm going to do a change, it's going to be a full change. So actually, uh, saw Columbus State had a really cool program, and it was a chef apprenticeship. So you need to do your work on the job. It's not you just like read books or do classroom stuff. You actually work full time, so you need six thousand hours in three years, and then you have to go to class. And uh, between those two, at the end of three years, I was like, this is for me. You know, um, it's you know not not the not the route that I recommend for everyone. It's very painful, and you know you you leave with a lot of memories and some some lifestyle changes. But it's uh, one that I would I couldn't imagine not doing anymore. Man, that's amazing. Uh, there were so many things I, I resonated with. I mean, especially when you talked about cooking, starting from scratch, going all the way through the process. It's kind of like designed to me that way, where you come up with this idea and this concept and you're building it for somebody else. And then to see them experience the space or have ship, have that meal for the first time, to see them light up and just go, this is exactly what I was hoping for. It's, it's very similar to me. It's so interesting. And your path took a lot of courage and a lot of turns. Oh yeah, I didn't mention that part. Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say there's a you know there's a level of self doubt and confidence that still remains and resonates because you know when you grow up one way and you do a change, it doesn't just go away. It just kind of stays. You always go, "Am I good enough? Uh, am I not?" So even like when I did the Top Chef thing, I was like, "Am I? Why am I here?" There's all like talented people. I'm just some guy from Columbus, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Imposter syndrome. So, yeah. yeah. How did Top Chef come to be? Um, I think they uh, some producers decided they wanted to make a competition uh, cooking show. With you? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm a very uh, yeah. not only is he a great chef, he's it's really my clever. Is very dry, yeah. <laughs> Comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is why people don't let me on shows. But um, <laughs> uh, basically, we—I I had just been uh, actually been the pandemic had had occurred um, last year. So my birthday is on March 14th, <laughs> which is interesting because when the restaurant shutdown happened, it was March 15th. <laughs> so uh, on, on my birthday, I was like just doing the dishes because you know how restaurants are. People call off, and my dishwasher had called off and trying to find another one. Um, and then I looked at my phone. And I was like, "Yeah, I have all these notifications." They're like, "Are you? Did you see the order?" And I was like, "What does this say?" And they're like, "Well." There's no open. You can't be open for dining anymore, uh, and so uh, within one day, I basically fired 95% of my staff, which is terrible because we'd finally like after three years, we finally found our swing. We were finally like working together instead of against each other. We were all on the same page, and then like this, this, this switched. And usually, as a chef, your job is to find solutions for everyone. You know, like if you're a head chef, you're not just like, oh, I'm just cooking everything. It's a uh, you're the psychologist, you're the sociologist, you you're the plumber, you're the electrician. I mean, and you're basically like their parents. Like if someone needs money or something, you help them out. If someone you know if the paycheck doesn't get there, you do whatever you can to make their lives better. And in that case, I was like, there's nothing I can do at this point. Like I was like, you got to file for unemployment, but there's like there's no solution because we don't know an open date, we don't know what's happening. We just know that everything that we work for was just destroyed, like completely. It's like a house fire, you know. Like what do you do after that? Yeah. everything's just gone. So that was kind of the, we were just, we, we made a decision that next day. Um, it was literally, we had 24 hours to turn our restaurant, uh, either shut it down completely. But we had some salaried people and we said, hey, we have an opportunity. Uh, do we want to try and make people happy? Because, uh, you know, food makes people happy and everyone's kind of struggling right now. They don't want to like eat fast food all the time and they need something positive in their life. So we changed our model from like, hey, let's, you know, we were very precise, pristine. You get, take the background of like a Michelin star restaurant. It's always about like, hey, make the best experience possible. And now we're just like, how can we put a smile on people's faces? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, thanks to my staff, we were on the same page. We, in one day, we flipped over to never doing carry out and delivery because we, we were just like, it's not fair to the guests or the staff when we do that to only doing carry out and delivery wow. for, for a year and a half. We just like, we sat down and we said, hey, what will we eat if we we were really depressed and that was our menu basically <laughs> we looked at our rock and like let's see what, how we can make this work and you know it was tough because like ingredients were spiking and going down things were disappearing you yeah. ran out of soap like all that stuff would happen and we were just we're like no, we got to do it because if we don't do it who else is going to do it and you know luckily some other restaurants stayed open and they switched to that and it was cool to cool to see so halfway through that i get this message on on uh my email and it's just it's from a casting agency and they say hey uh 
you know, we're from we're from Top Chef. I think it'd be really cool. And I was like, yeah, that's that's some kind of joke. <laughs> it's just, it's, I was like, it's a pandemic. I'm not filming Top Chef. And secondarily, I was like, why would they ever reach out to me? I'm not like just being. You know, there's a lot of really there's a lot of really good chefs out there. Um, I'm really really good chefs out there. So I don't know why they would even consider someone from Columbus, Ohio, because they really haven't picked anyone from Columbus ever in the past. And you know, we're still a developing city, so yeah. it didn't make any sense. So I thought one of my friends was playing a joke on me. Uh, but I went along with it. I was like, sure, why not? And I filled out this application, <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of a janky application. You know, I don't know. Like, this is this can't be real. And then it just kept going and going and going, and it was over the course of a few months. And they, they finally, like, when it, when it finally got to the last stages, because like, it was a lot of waiting, and you're like, you don't know, you know, because I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people are considered for this thing. Yeah. Uh, when they finally said that I got on, I was like, yeah, this is some kind of ridiculous It's not happening. So I was like, it's, uh, you know, it's not, n- nothing is happening. And then I got on a plane, and I'm there in the hotel by myself. And I was like, I, is this actually happening? Or is like, after that, 10 days is up, someone going to jump at me like, we got you, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then elaborate, the, yeah. <laughs> very elaborate. I got in the car, you know, I got to go, go to the kitchen, and I was like, oh, these are real, these are real chefs. Uh, oh, like, shit, here we go. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a, it was a very uh, enlightening moment when uh, they said your time starts now and that clock starts going, because at that point, everything else just goes out the window. You're like, I, I got to make this thing happen in 20 minutes. Like, you know, it was, it was very, uh, I did not prepare myself uh, adequately, but I think that was the best thing that I could have done. Yeah. Because I also was like, hey, maybe let me watch some episodes of Top Chef and see what I was going. Um, and I watched them, and I got too much anxiety, so I turned it off. Because I was like, I can't do that. There's no way I can do any of these challenges. I, I'm going to go home immediately. I'm going to embarrass everyone in Columbus, embarrass my family. You know, I'm Bengali American, so they're going to assume that I make... Like, all these things are just running through your head the entire time. Especially if you have low confidence and imposter syndrome. You're just like, ah, this is, this is not, you know, this is not happening. That's so much pressure you're putting on yourself, I feel like, in an already high-pressure <coughs> situation. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, it makes for good TV. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Before we started recording, you had shared that because it was filmed during the pandemic you were in isolation for 10 days yep. and you were sleep deprived during the filming which is always the key to reality tv of any capacity is get people sleep deprived and they'll do and say things well with the anxiety yeah. you, you really had no choice it was um like all of us were just like we were just like you'd, it would, you know you'd, you'd try to go to bed but you'd be up all night and also we were in the middle of portland oregon in the middle of protests uh, yeah. middle of a pandemic and also the fires had started so when the fires had started it was so bad that like you know outside it was just you couldn't see anything like we would like we'd get our COVID test three three times a week we'd blow our nose and you're just like oh my goodness there's like so it was it was like everything that could happen was happening yeah. but that's when you see like i guess we do have some endurance because you know we're still alive so <laughs> that's kind of cool uh, humans yeah. are so resilient it's yeah. a recipe for innovation right yeah. there he yes. did it too recipe you <laughs> yeah. see uh, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't. I'll, be, I'll be salty by the end of this episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes you guys i am so fascinated i love though in all of your story you have gone from yeah i didn't want to do either of my degrees which also dual degrees is insane. And then you were like, yeah, so I worked at my brother's restaurant. But then I ended up at this Michelin star restaurant in New York City. And now I'm in service bar. And then I'm on Top Chef. So yeah. There was a lot of steps along the way that right. you choose to admit. Because, you know, people don't want to hear about, like, let me hear about three weeks in a row. You just sat there and cried in your room and tried to do laundry. Like, you know, like, that's not that exciting. But it's very <laughs> cool. What's for you will not pass you. And I think you're a testament to that. That you followed your truth and it led you here. Which is so incredible. I also really love that you were saying the power that food has when you serve someone and you guys were using it almost as what would we eat if we were depressed? Let's create that and serve that for these people that need it most. So what does food mean to you as a method of storytelling and when do you find it the most powerful? I mean, I think there's never a time that it's not powerful. It engages all the senses at once. There's very few things that you can look, see, touch, and then eat uh, at the same time. Um, and especially like in our culture, we use our hands a lot, so you get the texture of the food. But um, when you have something that's food, because it hits olfactory and everything else, it kind of hits, I mean, you know, psychologically. It's close to your brain, so when you have a memory and a nostalgia, if you have an aroma that you can identify with, when you have that, you kind of have like a ratatouille moment. And we talk about that all the time is, um, you know, I can speak 
some Chinese. Uh, I took seven years of Mandarin. Uh, it's not important, but if I know how to put wake in a dish, people are like, now you're cool. You know, it's, it's different. It's a, you, can, you can draw a cultural bridge and uh, you can share a meal with someone and it's more meaningful than just saying, hey, I, you know, I read a book about how to speak this. Um, I think that's, there's something to be said about that. And there's been so many conversations that have been had over food or so many conflicts that have been solved over a good meal and a lot of things that haven't because uh, when you, people don't eat, they get really hang- angry. Um, you know, <laughs> so French, true. French Revolution, you know, there were some, some hungry people there. So, you know, it's uh, all, all kinds of issues. Uh, but, so true. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's arguable that food was the beginning of society too. You know, when, when, if we didn't have fire, we didn't have crops, we didn't have things to eat or oysters to cultivate, how would we even be who we are? Um, I never really thought of it that way. That was my justification. I was like, hey, parents, look, um, look, it's really important. Food's really important. But also, like, you know, my mom is a very, very good cook, and if I had not started cooking, I would never would have like been able to carry her recipes forward. And that's stuff that's like uh, orally passed down through generations. It's an entire history that you know. It's I don't think it's worth losing. You can still pr- produce those and create memories with people that are like, oh, this is something I've never had before, and it tastes good. You know? Absolutely, I think that's the coolest thing is the tradition and the legacy that a meal can carry. You know, and it really. It's so powerful. Also, like I was always told by parents, uh, do not play with, you know, like fire knives. Um, and that's what I do every day now. So, <laughs> so I get to do that every day. So. A little bit of defiance. Exactly. I like it. <laughs> Carry food is obviously a different medium to communicate than design. But what do you feel is the universal role storytelling plays in creating an experience? I, I resonate so much with what Avishar is talking about. I think... Um, you know, everything we do comes back to storytelling. I, I recently just got done reading this book. Um, it's Talk Like Ted by Carmen Gallo. I don't know if any of you have read it, but it's um, the basic, the essence of the book is how to tell a compelling story. And yes, it's uh, based around presentations, but there's so many parallels in what we're talking about. Um, emotion is one. How do you evoke emotion uh, to tell your story? And so obviously you do that through food. Um, and it's it's really... Um, how do you tie it to the heart of your audience? So um, design is the exact same way, trying to figure out a way to really evoke that emotion. Um, novel, things that teach us something new. So, um, you know, it maybe, maybe a space doesn't teach you something, or, or maybe it does. Oftentimes we'll integrate the history of a company in that space, and so you're experiencing kind of something new every time you're walking into a different area. Um, and then also memorable. Um, how do you create something that that person's never going to forget? Um, and just sitting here listening to Avishar, I feel like this is a lot easier to do with food than it is to design. <laughs> I, um, yeah, you'd be surprised. People have some very personal memories. Some yeah. of them you don't want to tap into. So yeah. <laughs> sometimes you don't want to evoke some memories. <laughs> but when I think about food, I mean, same. I always thought my mom was such a great chef, which is funny because... I grew up eating casseroles, a lot of casseroles. But now I try to like deconstruct what she, um, what she would make in some different, more creative way. And um, I think it's very similar with space and architecture. It's like, how do we take this old building and create something new? And I think it's that juxtaposition that really creates something surprising and memorable. So um, telling that story happens in a lot of different ways. But if you can evoke emotion and um, and, and tie it to some story for that person who's experiencing the space or the food, like you've got them, you've grabbed the audience. So um, yeah, I think I think storytelling is in, extremely important. Well, and I know we've talked throughout our, our uh, yeah. long history of projects together where we go through space by space and we talk about what is the experience here? You know, when you walk in, what is the feeling? What's the sense? Yeah. We've literally closed our eyes and walked through a space and said, okay, this is over here. This is happening here. And it sounds like it's very similar when you're cooking too. You're, you talked about all the senses, you know, the, the touch, the, the smell and everything. And that's exactly what design is to me. I'm curious, Avishar, you know, when you're thinking about creating an experience for your audience, um, 
how have you how have you done that? How have you differentiated yourself or your food? Is it by creating a brand or is it just because of your culinary experience? I'm actually not sure. I mean, it's, a lot of it was, um, honestly, if I could just copy someone and do it and be good at it, I, I would. Because um, it's an easier way to get some stuff done, but I'm not good at that. Uh, I like to, like, I, every time I've tried to follow a recipe, like I said, I messed it up. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I just have a different way that my mind works. But uh, I also think, like, ultimately, like, when we make food, um, it's, it is also easy to say, hey, this is a food trend. I can just follow this and do it. And we have to be aware of... Food has changed a lot. Our audience has grown. Um, it's not like I just put something on and people are like, I, I can't look that up on the internet. So you want to create an experience uh, that's unique. And to do that, you have to tap into your own memory or your, your feel and your nostalgia. That's something that's uniquely you. You can always find something that's out of a box somewhere, like a template. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. You can just make a box and say, hey, I'm going to make you a white space. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll just give you whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to. But that's not how you contribute, right? You want to kind of uh, put something on there. Um, and so I just tap into like memories or inspirations. I go, how did I feel when I did this? You know, like, how did I feel? Maybe I went to a three star restaurant. I'm not going to recreate their menu, but I ate a dish. The dish was good. I don't want to recreate the dish, but how did it make me feel or what memory did it hit? You know, it was like, it was like my first time eating peanut butter and jelly. And how can I draw inspiration from that to create a dish? And then also I have to go through the third phase because, you know, I am from the Midwest. Uh, I'm not in New York City and I'm glad that I'm not because I don't like pretentious stuff. So I'll have to take it in its most complicated form, break it back down and then rebuild it. Like the cheesy brisket crunch, you know, I made something that looks exactly like Taco Bell because everyone knows what that is. It's a very familiar, iconic kind of like image. Well, most important thing is I got to make it taste good uh, and I got to make it accessible to people. So if I can do that, then I can go to these other lengths to do those things. There's layers to everything we do. If people want to ask, like, yeah, what sort of, you know, we use a sourdough starter uh, that's from our yeast in our distillery. I don't, I don't think it's important for everyone to know, but if someone wants to know it, yeah, we absolutely do it from the beginning. And because you know how it is, you want creative control over everything from beginning to end. You don't want someone else to just offer this product because you don't know if it's going to be consistent. If you design it from beginning to end, uh, then you can say, hey, what went wrong? And I think that's more important than saying, hey, everything's awesome because uh, what went wrong is how you get better. It's so interesting. Your experience in psychology is so evident. Just going to say that. <laughs> just going to say that. Feed him to it. And it's so <laughs> evident because you know how to, you know your audience. You know how to give people what they want. You know, it's so interesting how you can use that. And then the biology, it, it has a role in it too when you're creating these yeah, recipes. Yeah, so I mean, we scale everything to the gram. Yeah. And, we, and also, like, we, when I write recipes, I don't just really, like, step one, do this. I try and make it, like, like I was like, make the sauce cling like your ex. You know, like that's, that's how you know what it looks like. Right? It's, it's, a, it's an easier way to describe it for, uh, for, for your audience. Your next career yeah. might be in marketing. So yeah. if you ever want to join my team, let me know. Sure. Okay, yeah. It's been a tough year. I'm not for anything at this point yet. So. Oh, it's just so cool. When you look back, I think a lot of times when people are going through liminal periods or they're going through transitions, they're like, I don't understand. You know, here I got this degree in biology and psychology. What's going to come of it? You know, that's not my passion or whatever. And then you end up here. If you try to figure it out along the way, I think that's where you get a lot of frustration and a lot of complication. Yeah, yes. anxiety. Great, great I think, word. I think everything is a everything is a lesson to be learned. Though. Yeah. That's the, the approach can be like, this is a waste of my time, or you can say, what did I learn from mm-hmm. wasting my time here? And you can exactly. go, oh, now I've got this this mindset or this thought yeah. process. And yeah, I'm grateful for that because there's a lot of a lot of tension sometimes in kitchens and service staff. And you know, like it's nice to be able to be like, hey. I'm not going to scream at you. Let's discuss this, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's tough when you do that and you're also serving 400 people, but you have to figure out a way, you know. <laughs> which is so cool. You've definitely used all the pieces and parts to, to make you where you are today, which is just I awesome. I appreciate that, yeah. <laughs> well, so speaking of pieces and parts, I'm curious, Carrie, from your perspective, we, we just talked about experiences a little bit, but what are other design elements or um, activations that we can use to create a different experience in, in the same space? Yeah, actually, I think you hit on it earlier when you were talking about um, all the senses. So, um, you know, if you take a really large space, and well, let's just use restaurant uh, design, for example. 
um, you want to create different zones within the one larger space so that when somebody comes over and over again, they're having a different experience. And so, um, so let's, let's think about like a, a more private dining space. That space might be lit lower. Um, you know, when you're pulling your chair and you might feel a fabric that's softer, the colors might be darker, the music in that room is going to be lower and more subtle. And then you transition into a bar area and the light is a little brighter. The music is a little bit more upbeat. The materials are maybe a little bit more slick. And all of those things touch all of the senses in your experience. Um, you know, you're going to have a different experience and want to come back every time because it's slightly different. Um, so. I, you know, yes, you could, um, you, you, you could probably do the same thing if you kept, you know, four of the senses the same, but I think it's more dynamic when you try to touch all of those different cues. Well, it's really interesting because I'm sitting here listening to you. You both are talking about design and food, obviously, but you're not really necessarily saying, Avishar, it's about the taste. It, it is about the taste, but you're talking about the human experience. You're about talking about sharing a memory. It's really not that hard to make something taste good. And here's the secret. Just put salt on it. Just put more salt on your thing. It's, it's so easy. And if it's, if it's lacking something, add a little bit of vinegar, add some acid, it'll whiten it up. If that's gone, add some sugar. Like it's just, there's, there's only so many things that we can actually taste. So you can objectively make it taste good. The human body will say 0.5% salinity. So you can season something exactly to the right amount. If you're a smoker, you're going to say 0.7 because you can think like, like think saltier. Like you can adjust. It's stuff that it's already been calculated. You don't have to like use your mind and hand. It's, it's, it's done. Uh, if you want to get that deep, you can, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, but beyond that, it's like when you go to a restaurant, you say, yeah, I can make this better at home. Yeah, you can make it better at home, but do you have a dishwasher at home? And do you want to do the dishes? Do you want to do all that? You don't want to host when you go to your house? Of course you can. So our job as a restaurant is, number one is when you walk in. That's why design is important. You need to be transported to an environment, to a, to a vibe, to a feeling. You need to be somewhere else when you eat the food. You want to feel something else. And when you're done, you create a memory. Um, you know, food is, I think food more or less is kind of easy. Everyone's kind of figured out how to make it. And it's also just something that we eat. Uh, but, but leaving with a memory that you never forget and wanting to come back and think, oh man, I remember the first bite of this. Or I remember that, you know, that uh, the noise damping was so nice that I could actually hear the conversation. Yes, and yeah. all those small mm-hmm. things, like you'll, you will notice when they're not there. And that when, if you notice when they're not there, then, then you know it's, again, good design, good art. In, in my opinion, I think when you walk into a spot like that and you just, you can just get to focus on a conversation. I think it's that, as easy as that. Um, and then when you go to the bathroom, you're like, oh, wow, this walk is kind of fun. You know, I went to a restaurant recently in Chicago. It was called Ever. Um, it's a, a Curtis Stuff. He, he, he worked for, like, Grand Atkinson, three-star restaurants. Uh, and his last restaurant was called Grace. But this was, like, his, his kind of attempt at just, just all of me from beginning to end. And it was so cool to walk in because, you know, there was no doorways. It was just a continuous flow, all to your seats. And, like, people, they, they made it so, like, the... The fixtures, there was no like tables, it was just part of the wall. And you would just like, that's where the water goes. Like everything just had a place, and this is where the staff stands. And you know, you go to sit down, and six chairs get pulled at once. And everyone, like, you're just like, we're, it's a magic trick. And it's like, you couldn't do that unless you incorporated every single element. And that, that results in a better meal. And I'm, in my opinion, like, you just get really shocked by how much someone cares about you being there. And you leave feeling like a VIP, no matter who you are. It's so interesting when you ask someone um, what their experience was like, or how'd you like that new restaurant? It's usually, it doesn't start with food. They say like, oh my gosh, this service was so awesome, or you should see it looks so great, Um, the bar is really cool, good drinks, and it always comes back to the food, but if it's a bad experience, no matter how good the food is, it, like gotta, they're not going back. You got to nail them all. That's yeah, all. I mean, that's the only way that. I mean, you want to talk about like how to how to nail a restaurant. I think the thing is that you've got to nail everything at once uh, because if one of those things goes bad, because yeah. they do, and we're human beings, uh, the other of them can also bring it back. So you have bad food, you have great service. The service will fix that. If you have a bad server, you have great food and great drinks. 
it's fine if you have you know a great design. You go, I want to be in the space. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care about anything else. You know, it's yeah. like it's, it's all very possible. But if you get them all syncing together, that's I think that's magic. a very magical yeah. experience. Yeah, it's not a cheap experience, but it's a good right. one. <laughs> yeah. that's, all those things cost I'm me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you constantly have to level up. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge about being a chef in, in your league and your caliber? I'm honestly, it's it's this it's. I, I don't know what my league my caliber is. I think I'm just someone from Ohio still. I know I've got I've got a lot more work to do um, personally, but it's uh, it is about uh, how do you integrate something in an expression that you can say is like this is uniquely Columbus, and that's been the hardest question because people have different definitions of what is Columbus. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say this is the home place of the Johnny Marzetti or the Buckeye, but I grew up eating chicken curry at my mom's house. So is that Columbus or not? I don't know. Um, people always ask me what's your style of food. I don't know what it is. I mean, no one can tell me what it is. I've asked people from Food and Wine, I've asked people in Top Chef, they're just like, I don't know. Nostalgia. I was like, you know, there's nothing, and I kind of like that because it means I can focus on the food and not I have to make this style of food. Uh, we try and make an experience, and that's just uh, it's one of the hardest things to do, time and time again, because the taste of the public is changing very rapidly with social media and everything else. It's like one week it's cool, the next week you need to do this. Next week, we that's why we made an Instagram page called Secret Kitchen Menu, where we just added we changed the menu every week. We again over the last two years we made 450 different dishes, and you have to to be relevant sometimes because people are like hey i want to try this i want to try that i saw that on the internet and we have to go like well i know this was this is going to be on the internet next week so i'm going to do it before then and then you know when it peaks it's a it's a good experience because ultimately it's it's about the guest experience for sure and i always like i always look at it as there's some chefs that are like hey i want to express myself and that's cool but i'd rather i'd rather look at it from hospitality hospitality is you are the guest and like in our culture like if you're a guest we don't kick you out we we feed you 18 times you know we you want to leave because you're like god they're too overbearing that's just the way it is is uh, you are more important than we are that's why you know you will always have like a guest room or something set up just for for someone to come in and that's hard to capture that sometimes in a restaurant because you know there's there's been a lot of changes and trends in how they work and sometimes you have like the egotistical chef there's nothing wrong with that there's like you know the guy that comes in and screams and this is all about me but to make it about them is very very challenging because we are inherently different people but i think in the midwest we have a lot of similarities and i think that there's an expression that needs to be seen that's uniquely midwest not new york not chicago not la like they are cool for a reason is because they also found their own so we need to i think columbus is is on its way but there's a lot of work that needs to be done to say hey i'm confident enough to to try this Um, and this is always about trying it right like you always have the ideas but when you execute you're like now it's all going i'm going all in and then there's the fear of failure and the risk associated and then you're like should i be stopped or should i try but if you don't try, what's the point? I mean, that's the whole point of, of what we do every day. I mean, we constantly innovate our designs. We never do a cookie cutter solution because to us, we want to personalize it. And I think it goes back to what you're talking about, wanting to create a memory, wanting to create a shared human experience. And I, that to me sounds, I don't want to think that I have the clout to say that this is your style, but it sounds like your style is just sharing human experience. Yeah, I think it's that easy. It's like when you go to a restaurant, you go into a restaurant. <laughs> you know, that's what you're just, in your mind, what, what can be also all kinds of things, but you're, like, you're, not, you're not going to a spaceship, you know? <laughs> like you're, not, you're not going to Mars. Or you're going to go eat dinner. Like the, 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 the bringing thing is that you're probably going to have some food, maybe some drinks, and you want to be with your friends. Or maybe not. Like uh, if you can make sure the expectation is met or exceeded every single time and always always exceeded from my perspective it should always be exceeded because ultimately like yeah i do believe you can make better food at home um because you're making it to order in restaurants when you're serving more than 40 50 people if you're doing waves of people you got to have stuff pre-made because no one wants to wait four hours for, for something some people do i do but um <laughs> talk but, about hangry yeah, exactly. no way <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i've waited in lines for pretty much everything and i know some of the stuff is worth some of it's not but i do it because it's my job like, yeah. i will taste everything whether i like it or not i will eat anything and people are like are you really hard to cook for? i was like no you can make me macaroni and cheese as long as i don't cook it i'll eat it dude. Like, that's, that's, that's that easy. so funny yeah <laughs> it always tastes better when someone else makes it i agree i agree yeah agreed i have a question for 
all these designers out here. Uh, how do you guys source your bravery to try these new things? When you have some crazy ingredient or you guys have some crazy design idea that's especially in the Midwest, because I think, you know, I'm from Connecticut, went to school in New York. It is different. It's a different world. And if you're from the West Coast, it's a different world. And in the Midwest, you have to kind of play it safe. So if you are thinking, I have this crazy idea and I'm going to try it, how do you do that? How do you source that bravery? Uh, I'll go last. I've got to build the bravery up to say it. So yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, we talked so much about storytelling. I think it's understanding the why. So with a client, if in the beginning you can really understand what, like, what's behind this renovation or, or design, if you understand like why they're doing it and you can connect this crazy idea to their why, you can sell it. And I'd also say like internally, we have a really good um, synergy of bouncing ideas off of each other. And I don't know how many times it said, I have a crazy idea. We listen to me on this really quick. And usually that crazy idea, it's not that crazy. It's, I mean, it's, it's outside the box thinking and it's innovative, but it, it, it's usually tied to a bigger why and you see the connection and you know you can sell the client on it. And then it gets them excited because they're doing something unique. Um, I mean, I think right now, because so many things are accessible, whether it's Instagram or House or whatever it is, that, that it's really easy for designs to become sort of cookie cutter because mm -hmm. you're sourcing inspiration and your clients are coming in with like, I like all, here's my Pinterest board of all Correct. the things that I like that look all the same. And so I feel like now more than ever, we, we need to create more unique solutions and the best way to do it is to tie it back to their experience, to their human, to their company. Um, and then it's unique, innately unique. Um, so those crazy ideas, I think, just need to be tied to a why. That was a long answer. So I love that. That's why we're <laughs> up at midnight and emailing each yeah, other with right. like, by the way, I just had this idea. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy, but hear me out. Creative genius. Abishar, you're on. Um, oh, okay. Um, so I was just entranced. I was actually a bit... Uh, what she said, yeah. Um, yeah. It's always been the question of like, what also makes us different? I grew up in the Midwest. I ate Longhorn well-done steaks my entire life. And I was like, hey, that pink one looks kind of cool. And I tried it. And I was like, oh, it is good. And, you know, like having that mindset, knowing that I came from the same um, means I think anyone else can. So you have to approach this. How do you change someone's mind on something that they haven't had before? And I do two things in food. Is if it's something that's completely unfamiliar to the, to the person, I'll make it in a familiar preparation. So if it's like a veal sweetbreads, I'll make it like... Uh, White Castle chicken nuggets. <laughs> you know, so on brand. Yes, um, <laughs> I will. I will make. And actually, there's a cool story with White Castle. But um, yeah, they're. Um, that's how I would. I would present it to a guest um, because they're like, "Oh, chicken nugget. I'll put that in my mouth." And because they have an anchor, they go. They're willing to try something different. Yeah. But if something completely safe, like, "Hey, this is going to be like a, a chicken sandwich," yeah. I'm going to put in complete Sichuan flavors and blow their mouth out of it because you know why? Because they've had a hundred chicken sandwiches that taste the same. Like they can get, get one probably a lot better by people that just do chicken sandwiches. But I do a lot of things. So I think what I can contribute is uh, something different, uh, just a little bit of a twist in a, in a way that's like, uh, this is actually bringing uh, cultural relevancy and things that are like awesome across the board without, without saying, hey, here's a Sichuan chicken sandwich. It's just a chicken sandwich that has, you know, a lot of peppercorn and has some fermented vegetables that, of course, we went through like years of fermenting to get to. And no one has to know about that. It's just uh, it's not the standard chicken sandwich. And that's, that's uh, cool to say because, you know, they're like, oh, chicken sandwich, I'll try it. And they go... Wow, I've never had one like that. And they're like, wow, it's sometimes they say, hey, it's the best thing I've ever had. Sometimes they say it's not, but I'm happy they tried it. Yeah. So if they try it, they've, I, and I say this all the time, it's like, I, I think this, I don't know if there's anything that's really ever out of the box. I just to go, I just add more 
more boundaries. It's just a bigger sandbox to play in. Like you have more tools to play with. Uh, the more you learn about culture, like everything's everything's kind of been done before. Yes, um, I, I think, but there's always a way you can contribute a, an experience uh, by looking and reaching outside of that. So you say, hey, maybe it's from here, or maybe it's you know African cuisine, or maybe I'm tapping into something that I was really inspired by this. And there's a history behind the dish. Like I before we shut the restaurant down, one of the coolest dishes that I made was one that was based off the movie Parasite because I really liked everything. I like movies a lot. Uh, and that one I I like Bong Joon Ho's movies a, a lot too. So people, <laughs> I, I'm a big like outside of Outside of food, I like like my other two hobbies are like movies and taking pictures. Um, so, yeah, weird. Um, anyway, <laughs> so so I saw that movie and I was like, how could I do something? And they had a dish called Ramdan in the movie, and it was like a, the juxtaposition of rich and poor. So I made a dish where I actually took really cheap ingredients and pre-made stuff and put it on the bottom of the dish. And then I took pickles that were purchased, then I made pickles on top of that. And then I took a recipe that was octopus, which is a pretty expensive ingredient, and followed a two-star restaurant in New York, a Junk Six recipe for this crispy octopus. Put it on top because a lot of that movie was also elevation and design. It was really cool to see that. Yeah. And I just made that, like, I just made a dish. And I was like, it, it, yeah, it tastes good. But two or three people were like, damn, like you spent a lot of time on this. I was like, yeah, it was not not easy. You know, I had to use like Wagyu fat for the base to, to incorporate this aspect of it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's cool when you can draw that and also make it taste good and if someone has never seen the movie they're like it's cool it's a surf and turf because that's what it is but if you see the movie and you're like oh i really like movies you go oh, cool it's everything is as you get higher the class gets higher and there's no evil in this dish but it's like everything is good in its own in its own way so, so much strategy and art both in I'd, your approach and i never your... consider myself an artist i just like i know what i like you know so. i am curious you're talking about that you constantly need to elevate and find ways to innovate and all of these things so how do you let that need to elevate energize you instead of overwhelm you well it's a little bit different. i mean i'm not sure it's elevate i think it's more about a clear point of view because everyone's always struggling to say what is it that's uniquely me or what am i doing or how do i express this i think everyone has the same taste more or less but I think uh, people have vocabulary is difficult sometimes um, how we communicate what we feel is very difficult to do so we're always trying to f a way to say I'm confident to say that I think people will like this and then I'll just go for it and uh, more times than not nowadays uh, because of you know you do all these years of just messing up you get better at it um, I'm looking more towards uh, it's not really about me uh, I'm just one person uh, it's going to take a lot of people to say hey this is an awesome city with this many awesome restaurants and we can build a lot of bridges between stuff um, you need a team and you need a staff and you need people that want to do that and say hey instead of me saying I'm going to be the person that makes a change I want to train 15 people that open up restaurants and, and then they use that as their baseline so they make it better for the next 15 and before I know it, we'll have a really cool city so that's kind of like the that's how I think it's going to happen. Um, I would be selfish to say that, hey, I'm going to do this. And yeah, could I do it maybe for a year or two and I'll burn out? Um, yeah. It's not It's not easy to do that. And there's some things that are important in life outside of just, if you can't enjoy the food you've made, then what are you doing? Like, seriously, if you can't be happy when you're making it, how do you expect to inspire a generation or make your guests happy? It's, uh, they're more interesting questions than just making the food. But um, we always do both. We go, what will we take, you know, to make our guests happy? That's, you know, above and beyond. Um, what makes sense? And then we go, all right, screw that. We'll do it twice. We'll work twice as hard. So, so you know, we're completely burned out. We're like, we'll, we'll just burn. We'll just go through it because you, your drive is like, yeah, I do know this is my baseline, but you know, the best decisions I believe are made on margins. It's never like one way or another. It's like you're just sitting here and just you push a little too hard, and you go, okay, I'll, I'll come back, or it's not hard enough. So next time you try try more, and uh, until you do that, you'll never really know. Um, you can always play it safe and say, hey, I know this works. And, that's, it's always, it. I could just sell burgers all the time. I know, I know we make a pretty decent burger and some decent fries. That could just be my, that could be it. But it's never about that. It's uh, more about what else can we offer? And, uh, you know, when have we offered too much and when have we stopped losing our sight of the vision? And as long as you have the vision, it's like, hey, we want to make, we want to show that food can be a bridge. Uh, we want to show that we can create a restaurant experience that is, you know, 
and I don't want to compare it to New York City on par with them, but uh, the culture there, like you said, is different. So I, I think there's some things that can be taken from that culture and, you know, say, hey, we, we can make food like this for people. Because the other thing about Columbus that we don't talk about is we have a lot of really smart people here, like a very, very high population of smart people, a lot of CEOs, a lot of entrepreneurs, really good architecture firms. You know, there are all kinds of really cool <laughs> stuff going on in Columbus. So, <laughs> so, and I would say they are a lot different than those in New York. And the thing about New York is there's a lot of people there, so things do get stale. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about a place like Columbus is you have uh, a research university. It's a very large research university. You have a great community college system that has got now like a really cool culinary school. You've got all these things that are just kind of coming. And uh, I think if we just took a step back and appreciated what we have around us and then worked on that and said, hey, how do we make these, these things better rather than saying, hey, I want to be like, I want to build this building, like, like the Empire State Building. Like that's not, yeah. that's not us. Um, there's a really cool identity. And the one thing that I will say about the Midwest along all my travels, uh, everyone that I've talked to that's been here, they say it feels like home. And you don't get that in just any other city. You know, it's, it's very important. Columbus feels like home. So make the best home possible, you know. What I'm curious is, because when you said that, you know, you had 450 secret menu items, right, that you guys have made in two years. Yeah. And as a creative in a different capacity in marketing and communications, I sometimes worry, where am I going to find the next campaign idea? Or where, you know, this was so successful, how am I going to make something successful again? I feel like, you get into your head sometimes too much. Yeah, like, you highlight reel or like, is this, is this, have I peaked? Is this exactly. Yeah, have I peaked? So and that's a, that's, I think it's a personal thing is you can just, you get to decide when you've peaked. Yeah, you know, the one thing about all this is we do stuff for others, but you can never change what others think about you. That's that's their own decision. It's up to you to decide, hey, is this cool for me? Am I happy with this? Because if you're happy with it, who the hell cares? Like, yeah. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Like, yeah. If you're satisfied, then be satisfied. Like, no one can say, hey, we want you to make a sequel now. They can, but you're going to make a bad one at that point because you're doing it for someone else. Do it for you. And I don't think you will ever really get to the point where you go, I feel like I'm regressing. That's at least been like, we get burned out all the time. So, you know, it's, sometimes it's really hard. We're really tired. We've been working over 100 hours a week and we just want to go to bed and just want to go to sleep. Yeah. But you, you stay for one extra hour after and sometimes the best creativity comes out of there. You're like, how do we make it so we do work 99 hours next week? Or like, you know what, what do we do with these, these ingredients that are left over? Let's make a staff meal. And then somehow that last thing, you don't know because you were just burned out or because it was a good idea. More times than not, it's because like, you've done it so much that you're, you know, like I said, if you take one ounce of flat, one ounce of feathers and you carry it, it's nothing. If you have one 1,000 pounds of weight on you and you put one ounce of feathers on you, it weighs a lot more. So it's a, it's a different sort of like, I guess, marginal thinking, but I think it's a, it's very personal. I like that. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any one right answer. I think it's just about, hey, I have a family, hey, I have this. You can have all those things and do it. When I started cooking, that was never an option. It was if you start, and that's why I've, I'm suffering a little bit because of it now, is uh, you, your lifestyle changes. You just say, I can't have any extracurricular life, no activities, I'm just going to be in the kitchen until I get there. Um, I think the cool thing about society now is we've accepted that, yes, you can have work-life balance. And I think it's important to push for that because I think some of the best memories and actually ideas happen when you're just not thinking about your job, um, which is not possible, but it is, it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you're, not, yeah. you're not there doing work. It's uh, like if I walk into the kitchen, I my inspiration drops because I just have this list of stuff I had to get done. And every day it's always a rush to get it done and someone will grab you, something went wrong. But if I'm, you know, on a beach somewhere, I go, oh, I just thought of this. Or if I'm like going on a bike ride, like sometimes it just hits you. And I think that's the most important thing. I'm also having good handwriting because my handwriting sucks. So all my ideas, like I have them written down on my, because it's a note, but I can't read any of them. It's <laughs> 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 like, I think that's what I was if trying to say. If you can't read them, then I don't know what that means for anybody else. Yeah. I, was, I was practicing to be a doctor. So it was, yeah. it was a good, good practice. True. Very on brand for that. All right. This is the last question. We know you got a lot of things cooking. Uh- <laughs> that, that was bad. You can do, you can do better tried, than that. I tried, I, just, I tried. Now that we're up, yeah, you can do a little bit better than that. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence. Avatar, what's a tip or two for us regular people to become a bit closer to being a top chef? Pretty easy. Is a, if you have a scale 
at your house, one that is a digital scale that measures things by grams, you will be able to do a lot better because uh, when you use tablespoons and spoons and stuff, it's never their accurate measurement. Uh, making your own food is always easy, but if you want someone to help you or you want someone else to make that food or recreate it yourself, you're very biased. We all know about personal biases and the way we view stuff. If you have it written down in a way that you can recreate it, then you'll get better and better. Um, and with that, I say the most important thing that I do is I brine all my seafood. And brine means 5% salt. So if you have a scale, it's 50 grams of water per liter, or 50 grams of salt per one liter of water. I use sea salt because, you know, it's seafood. It makes sense. It comes from the sea. I mean, you can use whatever salt you want to. Um, put it in there for 10 minutes, um, and it will last longer, and it will taste better every single time because it seasons it inside out. So also, if you do any butchery, it'll take all the scum off the outside. Uh, that is one easy trick that I... I spend way too much money learning how, how to do, uh, but now I will share with all you guys. So yeah, um, it's, uh, it's people don't consider the, uh, when you season something, you're just seasoning the outside of it, not the inside of it, right? And so also, if you're serving a steak, slice your steak and then season the slices. So you don't have a bland slice of steak. You know, a lot of people don't want to mess with their food. They just want to eat it when it's done. So make sure that you make it as awesome as possible for them. Do more work in the back end so they can have a good time. But if you're cooking at home, don't do that. Just just, just have fun. Because uh, at home, it's 90% cooking, 10%. Um, 90% entertaining, 10% cooking. If you're not there to enjoy your meal with your guests, then what do you don't do that? Like, I used to do that all the time. Like, I wasn't full in press mode, and I've changed my mindset. And the food comes out better. Because, again, like, when you're happy and you can interact with people, everything starts. That's a seasoning. Like, nostalgia is a good seasoning. Don't ever look that. Love that. Cooking's comfortable for me. When I get home after a stressful day, it's one of the first things I do. I just go to the refrigerator, and I find what I'm going to... But I'm going to take all of that ideas now yeah. and just going to He's going to start it grinding. Going. It's weird. I, I don't see I, see. I don't go home and cook. It's weird. It's just the least. Because it's all you do. <laughs> do you room and design? Maybe that's the opposite yeah. effect Well, exactly. There. But everyone's like, hey, are you going to do this for me? I was like, I, I guess I can. But, like, you know, like, again, like, if you're if you're into that, you go to my house and go, can you, can you just look at my guest room real quick? Do you think you could just redo that? Because, you know, you do that as your job. Uh, everyone has this idea that you go home and you have this, like, fridge full of, like, this, like food network. This, like, gigantic <laughs> fridge. There's a prime rib. There's, like, a, a compound butter that you made a week ago just sitting in there, like, I open it and all I have is condiments and no food. It's like ketchup, mustard, mayo, like all the all the sauces in the entire world, but nothing to put it on. Like it's, that's that's an actual like chef's uh, fridge usually. It makes sense to me because I, I do get that. I just need to disconnect from design usually. Yeah. Well, so we're at the end of our episode, and we get to one of my favorite questions: is always thinking about the future. I mean, obviously, I'm a, a futurist for a reason. So, Carrie, my question now to you is. What kind of design do you see yourself making in five to 10 years? And why do you think that? It's an interesting question for me because I've transitioned out of being in design day in and day out. So I'm, I'm more, um, I guess, designing culture internally here. And so my, my perspective is a little bit different. And, and from a design standpoint, I guess I would say what we were talking about earlier, how um, originality is going to be more important than ever. Um, and I feel like that's only going to... Um, continue and be more and more important you know we I think over the last couple years have seen such an increase in um, like connecting a, a, a company's brand to the space um, and of course that flexibility that we've been talking about I think in workplace it has been like the biggest change of of any of our sectors um, and just you know it's constantly evolving and what has the pandemic done to alter um, space but just our way of thinking and and being more open-minded to how people work um you know we've talked a lot about the psychology and and um you know well-being of the people using the space so just integrating um again all of those senses and thinking about the user and being more open-minded to flexibility within um a user and space i, I just feel is going to be more and more evident so just true human-centered design yeah, basically yeah. just keeping that going forward yeah 
So I'm curious in that true innovation spirit and maybe breaking the pathway a little bit, what do you think the next five to 10 years of food looks like for you? What are you creating? Uh, I mean, I think the cool thing about it is I don't really have to necessarily know, but I know a direction that I want to go. And I think that's uh, the most important thing is uh, uh, for the longest time, my entire life. And actually, I'm, I, I'm an introvert. I don't really, like, I definitely am. I've taken the test. I've, my entire life, I've just stayed in my room and uh, not really gone out. And I don't really, like, I don't need to be around people. Uh, sometimes I feel better just by myself because, again, it's a lot of self-thought and growth. But uh, this last year has been like, I kind of got that chance but then I realized without the people that I'm around and uh, without uh, and the interaction with guests it's not a restaurant anymore and I think the most important thing that uh, some restaurants lack is uh, and actually a lot of them do is there's a, a difference between the experience I've always been a team I would like an integrated experience so I I want to be able to interact more with guests so when the pandemic hit we started making videos because we didn't have a way to sell our menu items we're like hey let's this is how you make this and we think it's boring we're like oh you know here's these boring stuff like wow you do that you cut it this way like the public thinks it's fascinating, so like, let me give them more of, more, more or less, more of what they want. And oddly enough, it involves me teaching and open sourcing all my all my information. It's the coolest thing is it's not like I have to keep anything secret. It's I can just share everything, um, and I'd like to have that as an experience with the guests. If I could do something just personally for myself, uh, as a I guess you could say as a brand or something, is I yeah I want to share the experience of Columbus with as many people as possible, as much as much good food as possible, and as many different ways. Because sometimes I wake up and I'm like, hey man, what if I, what if I just made like this one item and just had like a food truck and I just made this and they went on the road and did it? That could be cool. And the other is I'm like, what if I wanted to have like a, a counter s- style service and then say, hey, I get to talk to the guests and tell them the story behind this stuff, and you know we get to record the entire mm. experience and say this is interactive. So even if you didn't eat here, you could see what we did and say, hey, now it's on record and someone else can enjoy it or, or learn from it. Like those are other mediums that you can never think of before I'll just be like you come in you need to do 48 covers you're done like, that's not how I think about running a restaurant anymore I think about how can I inspire people um, in different ways because sometimes one good meal or one good conversation can change people's lives like I've after the top chef thing I, I will say I was really nervous about people's reaction to me being on there and what's going to happen um, and I'm not like a, a, a public person or a people pleaser usually I don't go around and like clout, clout, I'm a Sharbarua but people like find me at grocery stores and they'll say hey I saw you but it was really inspirational um and I'll say, do you want to take a picture or something? We'll take a picture. And it makes their day. And I think, like, to make someone's day with just being around them, I think, I want to do more of, I, I love that. Like, that's a, having that power, I think, is, is really nice to be able to, the influence, the power to influence somebody with just your presence. Um, I've never expected that. And I'm really grateful for that because, like, you know, like, I've been around people my entire life. And they, never, they never want to see me anymore. But, you know, to, to be able to say, like, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, it's Avishar. It's cool. I, I saw you. And, you know, it was really stressful i will tell you that that entire experience was the most stressful because i was also I was the first person from columbus um first bengali american for the furthest making a person from ohio and it was like yeah that's always in the back of your mind when you're doing it you're like, i don't want to go home i don't want to go home and i'm thinking like oh what if i mess this up what are people at home going to think that was the entire time uh, that was just my mindset when i started to break that um and then come back and see that people are like hey you're actually not so bad i was that's the first time that i was like okay well I don't really know if there's any other competitions that are above Top Chef. Like that's pretty much, I think that's the, the peak yeah. one. So, so at that point, one, I think my parents were like, "Okay, he's cooking for life. It's it's, it's not like it's a hobby." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then two, it's um, maybe I can uh, find a way to make people's lives better because ultimately that's why I cook. It's, I, the food is great, but if I can make someone smile these days, there's so much stuff and stress going. On. We all deal with it. If you can escape for thirty seconds, it's the same with movies or great design, anything. It's like if you can create that moment for somebody and you just made their day a little bit better, everything's worth it. I think that's so awesome. I know even your cool factor works through osmosis because this is the coolest my brother has ever thought that I was getting to talk to. He's a foodie, and I worked for 30 years, day in and day out, for him to think I'm cool, and all it took was 
this podcast. So uh, That's, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, actually, oddly enough, so when I was going, when I was in New York City, my parents would not accept that I was going to cook. They're like, it's a phase. Like you know, you play the oboe. You're not going to play. You're going to be an oboist. You're doing fencing. You're not going to be a fencer. You're going to get over cooking. And I was just like, look, I'm doing everything that I can to try and convince them. And uh, you know, we're superstitious people. So my dad talked to this like online gypsy or something and called this number. <laughs> and I wasn't. I was in like Queens. I went to this like shady third third floor and bought this pendant. And the guy told my dad, he's like, if your son wears this pendant, then he can be a chef. And that's what convinced him. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> this is a stupid pendant. Like, I, was, I was like, I put my life on the line. I burned myself. I tried to, try to tell you. They're like, no, this pendant, you can do it. I was like, okay, well, I'll just wear the pendant. Then, you know? And I've lost it since, unfortunately. But, uh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is amazing. You have no sensation left in your fingertips, but that pendant was <laughs> what it was. It was definitely that. That's, that's what tells me that I, anything that I want will happen if I wear this pendant. So, hey, I, at least it was something. Otherwise, I might, I might not be able to do what I'm doing. So, you know, it's okay. Oh, I think that's amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you for being on our show. Thank you for sharing your amazing insights, Avishar and Carrie. And we hope that our listeners can find some innovation here to be thinking about how they can create change in their own lives. We hope to hear more about your innovative ways and uh, how we can have more human-centered design in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at ma-architects.com. And if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to reach out to me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you like what you heard today, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to hear what's coming in terms of innovation and trends from three to five years ahead. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Moeller. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thank you so much, Avishar. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Chef Avishar. Uh. <laughs> this is my last chance to say it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not dying. I just, you can still talk to me after this. <laughs>